0: welcome to the australian chiropractors association podcast the aca is the peak body representing chiropractors in australia hosted by aca president dr anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science art philosophy and politics of chiropractic as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Most health professionals will be aware of issues related to the overuse of opioids. In the US and Canada, it's been described as an opioid crisis, and certainly, while it might not be as bad in Australia, we appear to be following similar trends. No one is doubting the fact that opioids are powerful painkillers and certainly have a role to play in acute post-surgical and cancer pain management. The question is whether these same drugs should be used to help people with chronic pain, such as chronic low back pain. In the last few years, we've seen a number of studies that have contrasted the use of manual therapies and exercise with opioid use. We also have the 2017 American College of Physicians uh, guidelines and the 2018 Lancet series on low back pain, stating a preference for non-pharmaceutical approaches. Now, our guest today, Dr. Jim Wedden, uh, recently published in the American Academy of Pain Medicine. His study was entitled The Impact of Chiropractic Care on the Use of Prescription Opioids in Patients with Spinal Pain. Jim is Director of the Health Services Research at Southern California University of Health Sciences and the Adjunct Instructor at the Dartmouth Institute for Health Policy and Clinical Practice. He holds a Doctor uh, of Chiropractic degree from Logan College and a Masters from Dartmouth College. He was trained in uh, Health Services Research at the Dartmouth Institute under an NIH-funded Research Career Development Grant. He's authored 42 reviewed publications with special interests, uh, including Medicare policy regarding integrative health care, assessing the value of integrative health care, and exploring non-pharmacologic alternatives to opioid medications. Hi, Jim, and welcome to the ACA podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here.
0: So perhaps just uh, to begin with, you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background and in particular how you came to be involved with research uh, into alternatives to opioids.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I was a practicing chiropractor and kind of got into, I never really expected to get into research. If you'd asked me when I graduated from chiropractic college if I would become a researcher, it's, it never occurred to me. But about 15 years ago, after I sold my I sold my uh, practice, I continued to practice part time. But I was also working in a, a trauma center associated with an academic uh, medical center, and it was it was uh, my responsibility to uh, look after a, a database of all the the trauma cases. And I I got interested in in doing some research on this database that no one was really doing anything with, and. Uh, got a few uh, studies published, and uh, really kind of caught the, caught the research bug at that time. So uh, I got into, the, into my head that I wanted to apply for a training grant from the National Institutes of Health, which is the, the federal agency that funds a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, healthcare research in, in the US. And uh, I had the good fortune to be mentored by Jim Weinstein. An osteopathic physician, who um, a lot of people may recognize as the principal investigator of the Sport trial, which investigated a lot of uh, outcomes related to therapies for low back pain, and he 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 was instrumental and certainly helpful in helping me get that that grant. And but then on on uh, from the chiropractic profession, there was uh, Reed Phillips and Rand Swenson. Uh, who uh, really uh, really also, you know, made a big difference having them, you know, their experience and wisdom kind of at, on, out at my back. So the, the, the training grant lasted about five years. I focused on studying uh, chiropractic under the Medicare system, uh, public uh, health insurance, mostly for, for uh, older folks in the U.S., and um, studying chiropractic utilization and also uh, safety issues. And uh, so that, that was my focus at that time. And then when I came to SCU, uh, Southern California University of Health Sciences, the, the opioids epidemic was just kind of heating up about that time and uh so and a lot of people were looking for answers in the research community but not a whole lot of people were thinking about you know well how might non-pharmacologic therapies you know play a role in in reducing the the effects of this crisis so i thought that would be a, a worth uh worthwhile area of uh, inquiry and uh started you know, studying the association between using chiropractic and, and using op- op- prescription opioid medications.
0: So the last uh, couple of minutes, we've both used the term crisis. Uh, what's it really like in uh, the USA as far as opioid use and how often is it attributed to people with chronic low back pain?
1: Now, it's been changing. I, took, I guess to answer your, your second question first, over half of the people who get into trouble with opioids in the U S started with low back pain. Right. Um, so it's, it's a pretty significant, you know, uh, contributor to the, to the, to the crisis or the epidemic, which is, which is changing. I mean, you know, most uh, physicians now are really backed off on prescribing opioids. You know, they've, they've gotten the message. Um, but we still have a very significant problem. So, one way of measuring that is to look at the, the rate of opioid of deaths due to opioids, right? Due to opioid yep. uh, overdosing on, on opioids. And um, so, that the epidemic really kind of started heating up around 2011, 2012, right? And then, over the next five years or so, uh, the mortality rate basically tripled wow. right, due, due to opioids. So um, from like three deaths per 100,000 to about 12 deaths per 100,000 population. Now, then, but then around maybe a couple of years ago, around the beginning of 2017, the rate of deaths due to prescription opioids really leveled off, right? Yep. probably having a lot to do with physicians. be really getting the message and backing off on their prescriptions. Absolutely. But that's due to illicit opioid use like fentanyl, right? Street, street opioids. That's just continued to continue to, to rise. Right. Uh, just as much as it always it had been for the last few years. So that right. hasn't stopped. That's what's happening in the U S and for at least one, one way of measuring it.
0: And I think, and I'm not aware of the statistics in Australia, but I certainly know that. Uh, and perhaps we've, you know, been fortunate enough to learn some of the lessons uh, from what's happened in the states. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, my understanding and experience is that generally people are very aware of this and are starting to um, lessen their prescription, particularly for chronic, um, uh, for chronic uh, problems. And clearly, this is where all the research is, is headed. Uh, I mentioned earlier about the the Lancet series and the 2017 American College of Physician guidelines. Um, they've been fairly sort of black and white and, and clear in their move away from sort of the pharmaceutical options and look in favor of, you know, patient education, exercise, manual therapies, mindfulness, you know, some you know meditation, who would have thought meditation would be, uh, you know, years ago, a evidence-based um, uh, approach to, to chronic low back pain. But, you um, you, it seems like this, this level of ev- evidence is now starting to translate into practice. That's, that certainly seems to be your view then.
1: Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think that most physicians now, you know, it, it, particularly in view of the opioid crisis, but even before then, kind of, you know, realize that the, their toolkit for taking care of folks with, in pain is, is kind of limited. And Now that we're you know we have this acute awareness of the safety issues, not just with opioids but also NSAIDs, right? Um, they you know they recognize that that um, there's probably a better way, and 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 medical physicians are aware of these guidelines, right? It's it's hard to avoid uh, uh, you know because there has been a series of guidelines and just kind of re- reaffirming that non-pharmacological therapies so are the you know the the first line, uh, approach, you know, yes. the preferred first line approach. So, um, but you know, so we have this, they have this o- awareness, but it's not necessarily translating into the the kind of action that we, you know, many of us w- would like to see. Um, mm. first of all, uh, medical physicians are not trained in these approaches. Yes. Right. So secondly, they may, they're probably not real clear on, to whom to refer or how, how to refer, yep. right? And, and thirdly, and probably most important in the U.S., is a lot of these therapies are just not covered by health insurance. Right. Right? There's either uh, limited coverage or, or no coverage. So, um, you know, a medical physician with a patient uh, who has low back pain and they, they don't want to give them opioids. Maybe the patient doesn't want to take any dr- drugs at all. Uh, but the non-pharmacological approaches are not covered by their pa- that patient's insurance. So, you know, the, one of the big as- issues here now, with not just with chiropractic, but with all kinds of integrative therapies, is, is, is access. Yes. Uh, it, patients, you know, we have the evidence. Right, mm. you have not said use these therapies, but who's going to pay for it? Yes, it, and it's and it's going to affect those people with with limited means the most, right? Folks, affluent folks can pay for what whatever care they want. Mm. Uh, folks with with very limited means have to rely, and and regular folks, middle middle income folks as well, have to rely on their insurance. Yes, right. Uh, and if the insurance doesn't pay for it, then, then they don't have the access, and so and that can lead to health disparities, particularly for uh, people with limited means. They can't get the care they need and want, and so they're not. So there's a there's an issue of healthcare justice there. Um,
0: and, I, and I guess this is the next big hurdle to jump, isn't it? You know, we've got the the evidence is there. The 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 GPS um, that are seeing these patients for the first time understand that. The dangers of opioids and the inappropriateness of that in most cases, uh, but there is that financial hurdle and that perhaps integrative hurdle. So that's the next thing that we really need at a um, at a high level uh, through government um, and, and insurance coverage to really have that those doors open so that people can get access to the right sort of care at the right sort of time.
1: Yeah, a lot of the. Research. I'm not a policy person. I don't know anything about health policy, but I I hope that, you know, some of the studies that I'm doing will inform health policy in the direction of um, greater access to, you know, safe, effective uh, treatment for spinal pain.
0: And speaking of informing health policy, that your research, which is fantastic, but it's not the first in the in the last few years that's really made a direct comparison of chiropractic utilization and opioid prescription. Can you tell us briefly about some of these other studies and how uh, your research fits into that?
1: Yeah, there have been a few studies, uh, enough to uh, inspire some folks to to conduct a systematic review, uh, which was published. Um, last september uh, this systematic review found um six studies of the association between uh chiropractic using chiropractic care and using opioid uh medications uh six that were um whose that were uh sufficiently methodologically congruent that they could you know fit into a single systematic review um One of those was a a study that we had conducted earlier in the state of New Hampshire, uh, uh, where we found a 55% lower likelihood of uh, using opioids among recipients of chiropractic care as compared to non-recipients. And then there were five other studies in the review, and and the the average uh, uh, likelihood was 64% it was a 64% lower likelihood, so it's really close to what we, we found. 55%, the average across six studies was 64% lower mm-hmm. likelihood, even even lower likelihood of using opioids if you use chiropractic care. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the studies were pretty pretty similar. Different populations, different places, different times, right? Just uh, kind of confirming that that effect. Uh, what we're doing diff what we did differently with this study was uh we had a much larger population uh again we studied the state of new hampshire but we also studied the states of massachusetts and connecticut data from those three contiguous states in the northeastern united states small states but fairly populous uh and uh we found you know similar results but we, we also Used what we think was a little stronger method, where we used uh, uh, survival uh, survival graphs, or, you know, time time uh, survival over time analysis. Right, they're called the Ka- Kaplan-Meier curves, uh, which we think was a you know uh, kind of got to the the real picture a little more clearly. I think than simply an odds ratio because we studied over the the effect over time. Mm. Right, yep. you can't ascribe causality exactly, but it's a little bit stronger. You're looking at what's happening, you know, over time, sequentially over six years. So So that that was a pretty big difference in our methods. I think we made our study stronger.
0: So it was over six years. And as you said, a big population, over 101,000 subjects. It It was a retrospective study. So basically you're going into the files and looking back at what had happened uh, where did you get access to this data?
1: Yeah, well, so in the U.S., there are a number of states that have mandated. Right? First of all, I don't, I don't know anything about the Australian healthcare system, but the U.S. system is completely broken. All right. Okay. It's just it's so fragmented, and we have all these insurers, right, in all these different states. But there are some states that have attempted. Uh, to uh, in an attempt to kind of grasp what's happening in their states they've mandated the all the insurance companies doing business in that state to submit their health claims data to the state so all the all the accumulated data from health claims right uh, has it is going to this kind of central depository in a state where the state aggregates all the data and produces uh, databases that can be accessed by researchers, right? So, if you're a qualified researcher, you can apply for access to these databases. And it so happens that these three contiguous states Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New Hampshire, uh, in the northeastern US, all had all payer claims databases. And we applied for access. Uh, to that, to uh, those databases, the state of New Hampshire was free. Massachusetts and Connecticut charged us uh, for access, and we uh, and we analyzed their data, which is something that we've you know been doing for a while with Medicare data and various sources of health claims data. It's a it's a good way to kind of get uh, a, a sort of a, the big picture of real world what's happening in healthcare as opposed to, say, doing a clinical trial with 100 subjects. It's very limited, very highly controlled, and it has its own value for sure. But the, this approach of examining millions of claims also has yes. uh, as its place.
0: It's, it's, it's an amazing and fantastic resource, and it sounds like you're using it well. So t- talking about your research now, you sort of um, – I'm assuming you looked at people who had low back pain and then you broke them into – uh, into groups of recipients who received opioid medication and non-recipients, and I think you also uh, broke them into those who were acute or, or or non-acute. Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, um, acute and non-acute. I mean, yeah, we used that term, but what we meant by acute was that the patient was seen by the chiropractor early in the course of their uh, episode of of spinal pain, right? So the the acute group, uh, it applied to the chiropractic users only, and the acute group was one, those were the patients that were seen acutely, right? And we wanted to do that because there have been a number of studies recently that show that uh, if a patient sees a chiropractor first, right, they have lower costs and better outcomes. Yeah. And, and, and reduced, uh, escalation of care. And of course, uh, one aspect of escalation of care would be using opioids. So yep. we wanted to look at that again, you know, that timely, uh, use of chiropractors. So and a number of studies that have shown that, you know, that it, it, it's superior outcomes come from using chiropractor first. And mm. I, and I think with regard to opioids, we found that that was also the case. We found that, um, you know, in general, over that period at any given time in the study period, between one and a half to two times more non-recipients of chiropractic care used opioids as compared to recipients,
0: right? right. So in other
1: words, another way of saying that is the the chiropractic users had about half the risk. Yes. And, and we also found that for the acute group, but not for the non-acute group. We had kind of a lack of there was insufficient data in the other group. Right. So we didn't really find much there.
0: And, and is that just because the the the, the numbers, that there weren't, weren't enough in the group, or or was it because you think that the um, people who had, it, it had was, chiropractic care earlier... partly
1: early... insufficient numbers, but partly we just didn't see the effect. The effect of using chiropractic appeared to get watered down over time with regard to risk of filling an opioid prescription.
0: Right. So the the, the bottom line is the earlier the patient saw a chiropractor, generally the better the response and the lower the use of opioid medication.
1: That's where we observed a very, very clear benefit. Yes.
0: So I guess uh, the the one question to ask is, um, and I guess this is the challenge of a um, retrospective uh, study. How do we know that the people who saw the chiropractor weren't just of a lower level, pain. So for example, the people who are really, really bad, they, they ended up not seeing the chiropractor and therefore they were always going to get opioids as opposed to the person who was perhaps a little bit more health conscious. Maybe their p- pain level wasn't quite as severe. They went to the chiropractor. They probably weren't going to get opioids anyway. How do you sort of um, answer that question?
1: Yeah, well, your question is a good one. Um, and the shorter asked short answer is we don't know. Right? So it is possible that the study was biased in that way. But we, we did uh, do everything we could to reduce the effect of bias. We did adjust by diagnostic category, which you yep. can do with claims data. You can distinguish between, say, um, you know, a, a back pain with some neurologic in, in involvement, probably with, you know, sciatica. Um, as, compo- as as compared with you know uh, a diagnosis of a kind of simple mechanical, right, um, yep. low back pain, although anytime time you use claims data to try to make these distinctions, it's not an exact science. No, any practicing chiropractor knows, at least in the U.S. I'm not sure how things work in Australia, is that in order to get you you file the claim to get paid, right? And you just fill out enough information in the claim to get paid. Right. And that's the point. The object is not to provide high quality data for researchers.
0: No. Right. No.
1: And so if any di- old diagnosis will do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yes. You know, that's unfortunately the way, the way it is. And it's not that situation is not restricted to chiropractic no. Throughout medicine. Claims are filed to get paid. Yes. So, yes. uh, in any case, we, we did adjust by diagnosis category, which could, which is not the same as severity, but will give you some idea. We, um, so yes, confounding by indication is a possibility. Another big, uh, issue, uh, with health services research like this is, is, uh, the possibility of selection bias, mm. right? Which means if you're, If you have selection bias, it means in this case that it's possible that people who use chiropractic are different from people who don't use chiropractic. Yes, absolutely. And they're different in a way that's unmeasured, Mm. right? So the way that we address that, without getting into the technicalities of it, is something called propensity scoring, where we adjust by the propensity to use chiropractic or not use chiropractic. Right. Right, and we try to kind of pseudo-randomize the groups and adjust create equal groups yep. for comparison. So we did that, right? Um, so um, we, we this approach, this observational approach, is really the only practical way to answer these questions. Yeah, it had there are limitations, which you just pointed out the, mm. the possibility of of uh confounding by indication there are other you know limitations as well but there isn't really an alternative to answer a question like this if you were to conduct a clinical trial a randomized clinical trial to answer this question it would probably cost you about 10 million dollars yeah right and you have to run it over a number of years so Nobody's going to do that. No. And so this is we, what we need to do is simply perfect our methods, as, as you know, make our methods as robustly as we can. Yes. And then, um, you know, it's, the interpretation is, is up to the reader. Um, but I think a reasonable interpretation, one possible interpretation is that chiropractic care is effective and therefore opioid use is, is reduced. But yes. we don't know that for sure.
0: But we're also seeing it over a number of studies too. It's not just your study now. So I think that adds validity to the argument. Uh, one thing you mentioned, um, and perhaps probably worth giving an example of, uh, because some people not, might not be aware uh, about what confounding by indication is. Could you explain that a little bit further, and maybe give an example of that?
1: Well, I think the the example you gave is, is is the clearest one in 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 this case. So it, the indication is is the the reason for care, mm. right? So if if the reason for care is um, you know severe uh, stenosis of the lumbar spine with you know neurologic symptoms, et cetera. Uh, as opposed to a a, a simple uh, case of can, kind of, you know, a non-specific low back pain, mm. most cases of which are likely to resolve on their own yes. or, you know, or with, you know, uh, within a, a reasonable length of time. Uh, those are two different, two very different presentations. Yep. Right. And uh, th- it's, reasonable to uh, presume that many of the more severe cases would go not to the chiropractor, but to the medical doctor.
0: Yes. Yep. Uh, One of the examples.
1: And and so if that's the case, then there's there, there, the, you're, you're because you don't have randomized, you haven't randomized your two groups that the two groups are likely to be unequal. Yes. Founded by indication.
0: Yes. One of the examples that I I was uh, talked about was, uh, or that I've been um, uh, shown before, was that if we look at, say, say something like it asked the question, does does, uh, the use of paracetamol uh, increase the risk of asthma in future? And you might see that there's a link there, but was it the paracetamol or the reason they were taking paracetamol, such as chronic infections or fever? So, that's an, another way sort of to, uh, to to look at it but uh, but yes, there are limitations in research, but uh, but I guess we can only do the best we can do with the information we've got, and probably the greatest limitation of course, as you said, is is budget, you know ten million dollars. not many people are going to put their hands in the pocket for that much uh, that much money to be spent on research, unfortunately. Right. So, I guess, um, where do we go from here? We've, we've got this information. Um, it, it, we've got the guidelines. Um, what do you see as your next steps as a researcher and perhaps a little bit more beyond that? You, you, you said you're not, into, uh, you're not about policy. That's not your um, area of expertise, but clearly that's something that needs to change as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, policy is, is, is the goal. Um, policy change, at least here in the U.S., we need policy change we are currently conducting two other studies that are very closely related to one that we just published one is a national study of uh, medicare beneficiaries Uh, so those are folks over the age of 65 there are some 50 to 60 million uh, u.s citizens covered under the medicare system and we have access to that database and we are using very similar methods to analyze the, you know, for the same question, uh, that we did in this pain medicine study, but not in three states, but all 50 states, uh, in, in, uh, old older, um, older adults 65 and older. And, uh, We're also conducting, and that's a privately funded study. We're also conducting another study funded by the NIH, National Institutes of Health, where we are examining the outcomes, comparing outcomes between uh, spinal manipulation and prescription drug therapy. Again, in older adults, it's a again a national study uh, with chronic low back pain, and we're looking at long-term outcomes, right? So the, the, uh, and there's uncertainty, uh, in both groups with regard to the benefits of long-term care. On the one hand, uh, if you take opioids, the long-term benefits are uncertain and there are clearly safety concerns. Yes. Uh, on the other hand, with, uh, long-term care of uh, with, through spinal manipulation. There are questions about the the value of maintenance care. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there are also still uh, questions, whether, you know, legitimate or not, depending upon your point of view about the the safety uh, of spinal manipulation. Yep. Uh so we're looking at, you know, we're looking at safety, we're looking at uh escalation of care, we're looking at costs, uh, all the outcomes that we're able to look at in claims. Another thing that we're also focusing on uh currently and uh continue to look at is the uh, primary spine model of care, primary spine care. Uh where uh Again, kind of addressing that issue where uh, conventional primary care is not well equipped uh, to um, manage folks with spinal pain, but chiropractors we believe are mm-hmm. uh, so to the, the the primary spine model that we're testing uh, the idea is to embed a chiropractor who's been trained to function very well in a pri- conventional primary care environment and have that chiropractor be the captain of the spine care basically yeah triaging examining treating referring where necessary and uh that we're and we're testing that uh, at an academic medical center and we're very encouraged by the early results particularly the, the reception that uh the chiropractor is getting from the other physicians
0: now that's very positive
1: the they're very very pleased with with uh, everybody. Everybody's happy. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: So, yeah. In Australia, I can tell you that from from both a, an advocacy point of view and and I guess also an identity slash marketing point of view, um, you know, we don't want chiropractic to be just pigeonholed purely into the spinal manipulation. Sort of model because clearly there are many things that chiropractors do to help patients. Um, And part of that, and that's why I guess, um, as you've just explained there, where the the chiropractor is the captain of that spinal care model are uh, that they, they do understand triage they they do understand the benefits of um of exercise of um of working on stress management and all the other things that are so important in as far as complete care is concerned and clearly with um you know particularly the um the older and the much younger you know the the standard sort of high velocity low amplitude beyond the physiological range um thrusting is not the only thing that chiropractors do. Um, and lower level mobilization or, or lower level type spinal adjustments certainly are, are a part of the armamentarium. And I think selling the complete picture of what a chiropractor does rather than just uh, being a technician that performs spinal manipulation is really important.
1: I, I agree entirely. And it's not our intention to sort of pigeonhole the chiropractic, uh, Profession or 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 limit. We we've, we've been focusing on kind of this more um, medically integrated model, right? Uh, and, and also uh, analyzing claims data, which really doesn't tell you very much about right. actually what the chiropractor is doing. It's very 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 limited. Uh, there's a lot of data over many years and over you know wide geographic range but the number of variables you actually get in that data is very limited so it it there there's no nuance right in no. in, in claims and yeah there the chiropractic profession is one with with tremendous potential uh and a lot of unexplored benefits um in our research we we're you know kind of just looking at one uh one small part of the elephant i think
0: yes. You can only ask one research question at a time, really, can't you?
1: (laughs) I'm afraid so, (laughs) and even that's kind of a kind of a challenge at times.
0: Well, Jim, look, thank you so much for you and uh, all the way over there in California. um, You're doing some great work. I really enjoyed your paper, and that will will make that available to all the ACA members uh, with this podcast. So, uh, again, thank you so much for, for your time and for what you're doing for the profession.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Anthony. My my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and it's been helpful in your quest for excellence. I look forward to chatting with you again on a next ACA podcast.